Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy. News that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, a controversial pastor has been banned from Twitter, and the Boy Scouts have reached a massive $1.8 billion agreement with sexual abuse victims. But will it hold up? We begin today with news that the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America installed its first openly transgender bishop in a service held in San Francisco's Grace Cathedral last Saturday. Yeah, the Reverend Megan Rohrer will lead one of that church's, the ELCA church's, 65 synods. She'll oversee uh, nearly 200 congregations in Northern California and Northern Nevada. Rohrer was elected in May to serve a six-year term as bishop of the Sierra Pacific Synod after its current bishop announced retirement. Rohrer became one of seven LGBTQ pastors that were accepted by the Progressive Evangelical Lutheran Church back in 2010 uh, after it allowed ordination of pastors in same-sex relationships. Now, what impact has the acceptance of LGBTQ relationships had on the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America? Well, it's been a pretty devastating impact, in fact, uh, though progressive denominations often say that they stand for inclusion and tolerance. The actual impact of progressive positions has been the exact opposite, not only in the ELCA, but in the United Church of Christ and the Episcopal Church as well. Uh, the ELCA, for example, has lost about a half a million people, half a million members, and more than 700 congregations since it started ordaining. LGBTQ people, of which Rohrer was in that first class in 2010. They actually made the decision to ordain them in 2009. So aside from the decline in the Episcopal Church, uh, which we may talk about in a minute, uh, this has been one of the greatest numerical meltdowns in the history of American church history. Now, speaking of Episcopalians, our next story is about the death of Bishop John Shelby Spong, a best-selling author and cleric known for his progressive theology and his support of LGBTQ clergy in the Episcopal Church. Yeah, he was 90 years old um, when he died last week. Uh, Spong made headlines as the bishop of the Diocese of Newark, New Jersey, uh, where he served for more than two decades as bishop. He made headlines when he ordained the first openly gay male priest in the Episcopal Church. That was way back in 1989. Uh, he would later go on to ordain about three dozen LGBTQ clergy in his diocese by the time he retired. Uh, he championed women clergy as well, requiring any church in his diocese that was searching for a new priest to interview at least one female candidate, uh, that according to Bishop Bonnie Perry, who is a bishop of the Episcopal 
Archdiocese of Michigan. But again, the impact on his church was devastating. Yeah, it was. During the 20 years that Spong was Bishop of Newark, New Jersey, membership in his diocese fell by more than 40%. Membership in the Episcopal Church as a whole fell by about 25% during that period of time. He and his progressive colleagues preached tolerance and inclusion, but it became pretty quickly obvious that conservatives were in fact not welcome. And they fled in droves from not only his diocese, but the church generally. Uh, So did people of color and ethnic minorities and young people. The Episcopal Church and the ELCA Lutherans that we just talked about a few moments ago, Natasha, are now among the widest and oldest denominations in the country. And we have one more story that might fall into the category of church news or denominational news, and that's news of the death of another religious leader, this one in Korea. Yeah, the founder of one of the world's largest megachurches has died, according to news reports from Korea. The English-language Korean Herald has reported that the Reverend Cho Yong-ji died at a Seoul hospital on Tuesday morning. He was 85 years old. Cho, um, known here in the United States best as David Cho, uh, was the founder of Yoido Full Gospel Church, which is a Pentecostal megachurch whose members uh, were in the hundreds of thousands. In fact, at one time, the church claimed 800,000 members and was listed in the Guinness Book of Records as the world's largest church. Yeah, that's right. Uh, David Cho founded that Pentecostal church back in 1958, a little over 60 years ago, initially holding services under a tent before moving into a 10,000-seat sanctuary in 1993. His church played a key role in the post-Korean War resurgence of both South Korea and of the Protestant church in South Korea. For centuries, you may know, Buddhism uh, had been the dominant religion in South Korea, but Christianity recently passed Buddhism as the largest religion in South Korea, though it's important to note that South Korea is also one of the most secular countries in the world, with more than half the population claiming no religion at all, and about 15% saying that they're atheists. David Cho's form of Protestantism might be compared to the prosperity gospel here in the United States. Yeah, that's right. They are associated with the Assemblies of God. There's a loose affiliation there. And and David Cho himself has had a pretty controversial career. Some critics say that his brand of Pentecostalism may, in fact, have inhibited the growth of more mainstream forms of Christianity that were also taking root in Korea in the 50s and 60s, such as Presbyterianism, which has a pretty strong foothold there as well. They also say that Cho's embrace of the prosperity gospel's materialism alienated many Koreans and contributed to the rise of secularism in that country. And he also had legal problems. Yeah, though he officially retired in 2007, in 2014, he was convicted of embezzling millions from the church, millions of dollars from the church. He received, though, a suspended sentence, didn't have to serve any jail time. And uh, among his followers, even after that conviction for embezzlement, he remained a beloved figure. Now, Warren, let's return to the United States for our next story. A Tennessee pastor 
known for controversial stands on COVID-19 and the 2020 election, has been banned from the social media giant Twitter. Yeah, you're talking about Greg Locke. He was permanently suspended from Twitter. Locke is the pastor of the independent Global Vision Bible Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, which is just a little bit east of Nashville. He was a relatively unknown figure until he discovered the power of social media in the wake of the 2015 Supreme Court decision legalizing same-sex marriage. But it wasn't his views on same-sex marriage or abortion or other issues that have a strong biblical basis that got him banned. No, that's right. It wasn't. Uh, Recently, Locke has been repeatedly uh, mocking those who wear masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19. He told worshipers that anyone who shows up at his church wearing a mask will be asked to leave. Uh, He's also been preaching that the Delta variant of COVID is a hoax, and he told his congregation not to get vaccinated, calling the vaccine an experimental potion. Uh, His sermons have been posted on Line and reposted through social media, and they've been something of a rallying cry for anti-vaxxers. So what happens now that Locke has had one of his major megaphones taken from him? Well, Locke claims that he will sue Twitter, but so far, no lawsuit has been forthcoming. Warren, we need to take a quick break here, but when we return, the United Methodist Church is suing one of its own congregations. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We continue with news that the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church has sued Mount Bethel Church in Cobb County, a suburb of Atlanta. It is seeking to seize control of the church's assets after mediation attempts to keep the church within the oversight group failed. Yeah, Mount Bethel is one of the largest churches in the North Georgia. In fact, it is the largest church in the North Georgia Conference and one of the largest Methodist churches in the country. It has about 10,000 members. Now, the Methodist, the United Methodist Denomination, claims that Mount Bethel violated the denomination's Book of Discipline. The church uh, claims that the denomination is attempting to discipline its senior pastor, the Reverend Jody Gray, for his biblical positions on LGBTQ issues 
issues and other issues by reassigning him to a non-pastoral position within the denomination. Ray refused that reassignment, saying that the conference did not follow the proper process in making it, and the church began exploring ways to disaffiliate uh, from the denomination as a way to keep uh, Pastor Ray as their leader. Uh, Now, the lawsuit uh, seeks a permanent injunction to prevent Mount Bethel from retaining control over its assets. So what's going to happen? Well, I can't say what will happen in the long term, but in the short term, Ray is still pastor at Mount Bethel, and they're still holding Sunday services uh, on their campus in East Cobb County. Our next story is an important update on the Boy Scouts. What happened this week? Well, one of the primary insurers of the Boy Scouts of America announced on Tuesday that it had reached a tentative settlement agreement with the organization and with attorneys representing tens of thousands of men who say that they were molested decades ago by scoutmasters and other scout leaders. Under the agreement, uh, the insurance company, the Hartford, will pay about 787 million dollars into a fund to be established for the men. Uh, In exchange for that payment, the Boy Scouts organization and its local councils have agreed to release the Hartford from further liability regarding sexual abuse claims. And that is a huge amount of money. Well, it is. And that's not all, as they say during the infomercials. Uh, Under a separate agreement, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints often known as the Mormon Church, also agreed to pay about $250 million into the fund for abuse claimants. Uh, The denomination, as I said, known colloquially as the Mormon Church, was the largest single sponsor, uh, they call them charter organizations, of Boy Scout troops before ending its partnership with the BSA at the beginning of last year. Okay, so now we're over a billion dollars. Yeah, and even that's not the full extent of the damage. The Scouts itself have been liquidating assets for the last couple of years, and they're contributing hundreds of millions of dollars into this fund themselves. In total, the settlement is close to $1.9 billion. Man, that's got to make it one of the largest settlements in the history of sex abuse cases. Yeah, aside from the Catholic Church clergy sex abuse case, as far as I can tell, it in fact is. So what happens next? I mean, is this over after this? Well, my guess is that it's not, and possibly not even by a long shot. For one thing, victims groups are saying that that amount of money, while massive, still comes out to less than $30,000 per individual victim. There's been about 70,000 victims that have come forward and have made credible cases for being a uh, a recipient of these funds. Uh, They say that uh, it won't be nearly enough compensation for the victims uh, for the years of trauma that they experienced and for the expensive treatment that some of them have already been paying for or likely will need in the years ahead to experience healing. Also, and here's a key part of this story that I want Christian leaders to understand, um, that Christian organizations, including churches, um, might also still be liable. They might have some vulnerability. The Mormon church put $250 million into the settlement bucket, but what about the Southern Baptist Convention? What about the United Methodist Church and hundreds of non-denominational churches that also were charter organizations for Boy Scout troops and Cub Scout PACs? They were not covered in this settlement, and lots of legal experts think that they remain 
vulnerable to lawsuits. So no, this case is definitely not over yet. Warren, let's look at how another group is handling sexual abuse cases, and that's the Southern Baptist Convention. The SBC has retained independent compliance firm Guidepost Solutions to investigate its executive committee in connection with its past handlings of sexual abuse issues. Yeah, a task force was formed at the request of SBC delegates, or messengers as they called it, and they selected guideposts after vetting two proposals, the other coming from a Washington, D.C. law firm. Among other reasons uh, they cited for selecting guideposts was that they had considerable background involving abuse in religious context and team members who were understanding and appreciative of uh, the Baptist faith and principles. Guidepost Solutions is a leader in domestic and international investigations, compliance solutions, monitoring, and security and technology consulting with offices in multiple U.S. cities, as well as Bogota, Colombia, and Singapore. Yeah, that's right. And in some ways, uh, this engagement of guideposts does make sense. Uh, The SBC had previously hired guideposts in June to investigate allegations that Ronnie Floyd, uh, the president of the executive committee, and Georgia pastor Mike Stone had tried to delay attempts to deal with abuse and to silence abuse survivors and to review and enhance training provided to the executive committee staff and trustees regarding abuse matters. Let's look at one more story before we go to break. And there's a warning that some of the details here are disturbing. Yeah, they certainly are. Uh, A civil trial began on Monday in the U.S. District Court of Delaware for a former pastor whose daughter has accused him of raping her while she was still a young child and selling her body to other men, as well as filming these sexual assaults of her and other children, and then selling the footage. The lawsuit alleges that Ron Cohen began sexually abusing his daughter Alicia when she was just three years old and started selling her body to others when she was just five years old, often drugging her beforehand. Uh, The suit alleges that other young children were also filmed um, while being sexually exploited in a mock bedroom that Cohen had set up in the basement of his Newark, Delaware home, and that Cohen reproduced and sold the videos. Wow, that is horrible. But how does this relate to Christian ministries? Well, because Cohen ran a ministry in the Newark, Delaware area, the Miracle Tabernacle Church, uh, that the lawsuit purports was really just a front for these sex trafficking activities. The lawsuit claims that attorneys have a list of people who made religious donations uh, to Cohen's ministries that were actually payments for sex or payments for the sex tapes. Now, Cohen is denying the charges. Yeah, he is. Uh, Alicia Cohen first filed her lawsuit back in 2019. It's only now going to trial. It's taken this long for the case to get this far. But Ron Cohen uh, said in 2019 in a telephone interview with USA Today that the allegations were untrue and defamatory and also implied that he believed a therapist had planted the idea of the abuse in Alicia's head. But Alicia Cohen's attorney, his name is Dan Stevenson, uh, he works for the law firm K&L Gates Antitrust 
Trafficking Initiative, which is a major reputable international law firm, said um, at the time, back in 2019, whenever Ron Cohen made his original accusations against his daughter, that the level of verifiable detail showed that her memories were not fabricated in counseling. So is Cohen still in ministry? Well, believe it or not, he is. Uh, Cohen is listed as the pastor of Ron Cohen Miracle Tabernacle in Leland, North Carolina. That ministry has a website which contains testimonies of miraculous healings that were supposedly brought about by Cohen. Cohen now also claims to have a doctorate in theology from a college called Chesapeake Bible College and Theological Seminary. I reached out to both Cohen, asking for an interview, and to the seminary, asking for verification of Cohen's academic credentials. But so far, neither have responded to my request quest for additional information. Well, Warren, we have to take another quick break here, but when we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have up first? Well, helping those in need is a biblical principle, of course, so the increase in direct cash gifts to people struggling through the COVID-19 pandemic should come as no surprise, but we wanted to ask this question, Natasha, is direct giving from person to person taking the place of charitable giving and tithing to churches for Christians? Direct person to person giving happens when a person learns of a need of a family, friend, or maybe another church member, a neighbor, and gives money directly to that person rather than to a ministry. Uh, it may be because of a health concern, unemployment, catastrophe, or some other unexpected expense. We've been seeing a lot of these kinds of things um, grow in recent years through through uh, cash transfer and crowdfunding applications such as Venmo, PayPal, GoFundMe. And a recent article uh, says that these kinds of direct gifts are have increased significantly during the pandemic. But has it cut into giving to churches and Christian ministries? Well, some new data indicate that perhaps it has. Uh, For some Christians, these person-to-person direct gifts are offsetting their 
tithes to the local church. 83% of American churchgoers um, still believe that the concept of the biblical tithe applies today, that according to a survey done in 2018 by Lifeway Research. Uh, But about one-third agreed that a tithe can go to an individual instead of to the church. In its analysis of giving trends in 2020, the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, which is at Indiana University, found that the total charitable giving during the previous year, 2019, had actually increased about 5%, but giving to religious groups saw only a 1% increase. Who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, Christian Encounter Ministries is our ministry that we're focusing on. They began in 1970 as a church with a residential youth program. It operates uh, a ranch, you might call it, for at-risk kids in California. The ranch uh, addresses issues including relationship breakdowns, behavioral and emotional problems, addictions and self-destructive habits, academic struggles, and social maladjustment. Christian Encounter Ministries aims to facilitate youth to overcome cycles of broken and we have their financial statements for your review on our website. And who do you have in the Ministries Making a Difference column this week? Well, most of the ministries that we've been featuring over the past few weeks, including this week, have been involved with disaster relief and refugee relief. They include Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, which is preparing and distributing food packages daily to more than 1,000 families in Haiti struggling through the after effects of the August 14th earthquake there, and Christian Women in Media's charity arm, which is called Heart of Mercy Missions, is raising money to help Afghan refugees by supplying hygiene packages, clothing, medical supplies, post-traumatic counseling, and gospel-printed materials for women and children. The United Nations, by the way, has warned that up to a half a million displaced Afghans could be flooding into neighboring countries following the United States troop withdrawal and Taliban takeover there. On top of the already 2.2 million and Afghan refugees that were in neighboring countries, that according to the BBC. Any final thoughts before we go? Well, I just want to let everyone know that we have a new feature on the Ministry Watch website. I think a lot of our listeners already know that we have the financial information, financial statements of about a thousand Christian ministries up on our website. Those ministries are scattered, of course, all over the country, but some states have a higher concentration than others. And starting last week, uh, we began a new series that features those states. This week, we have Virginia on the site. Last week, we profiled Texas. We'll be doing these state profiles at the rate of two or three a month, not quite every week, but as close to that as we can, until we cycle through the top 25 states. And you can see the entire list of the top 25 states by going to ministrywatch.com and hitting the monthly list tab up at the top of the page. That sounds like very helpful new feature. Do you have anything else? Well, I'd like to also let everyone know a reminder, because I mentioned it last week, of a free webinar that we have coming up soon. It's called How to Find and Read a Form 990. We did this webinar a couple of times back in 2020, and it was well-received. In fact, we sold out. We've got a limit of 100 people that we let into uh, these free webinars. Um, We've grown a lot. Our mailing list has grown a lot, and we have a lot of people who weren't getting our daily emails or listening to our podcast when we offered it the last time. So we're going to do it again on September 23rd. 
2 p.m. Eastern Time via Zoom. Uh, I know I mentioned that it's free, but you do have to register if you want to get that Zoom link. And I should also say that we're getting pretty close to sold out. We've got nearly 100 people registered. So if you do want to sign up, I recommend that you do so quickly even if you don't think you can attend, because we'll record the session and we will send the recording to everyone who signs up. So you can look for that link to sign up in our daily emails. And also, Natasha, I just wanted to ask how your book, Unplanned Grace, is going. It's doing great. And we're really amazed at how the timing of its release and the the laws in Texas came out because the book really is a amazing resource and index of how to engage the pro-life issues, how to answer the hard questions that we're hearing in culture right now. So yeah, it's it's going really well. We're about ready to go off on a book tour and, and hit the Mardell stores in Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. So if you live anywhere by them, we'd love to see uh, anyone who's listening uh, there at those stores. And if you'd like to pick up a copy of Unplanned Grace, you can go to Unplanned gracebook.com and I, I just love the tagline that is therefore it's a compassionate conversation on life and choice and I think that's so relevant for where we are today. Well, congratulations on the book, and I've got both you and Brittany, your co-author, my daughter, who um, on our Ministry Watch Extra podcast this week, and of course, it's right up um, that book is right up the alley of us here at Ministry Watch because we uh, like to celebrate what great Christian ministers are doing in the world. The twenty five hundred or so pregnancy care pregnancy resource centers in this country are really a compassionate army uh, for the pro life cause and for uh, on behalf of women and children everywhere. So, thanks for the book. Thanks for for um, what you're doing, and thanks for co-hosting the program with me as well. Appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having us on that extra as well. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Rod Pitzer, Kim Roberts, Steve Raby, Randall Chase, Ann Stike, and Bob Smetania. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. 